there's a spirit of expectation here this afternoon. We've already sang that he won the victory. And I'm going to remind you this, this afternoon that you don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. Differentiate the two. Because there's still a response that you have to have. And it's to make sure that this, that the freedom and the liberty that you feel right now extends out into your everyday life. When you walk out of those doors, you still feel free. You still feel released. Because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Indeed. You take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Reading from verse 6 through 8. It says, for, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. Can you say that? Can you say, so far, I fought a good fight. I finished my course, my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at the day. And not only to me, but to all, to all, them also that love his appearing. And for a little while, I want to speak to you on this subject about the exchange. The exchange. Fight. Finish, keep. Fight, finish, keep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've already been down here and done a work, God. And I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would take anything out of me, God, and speak to your people for the edification of your body, Lord. I pray that the, the burdens that we came in here with, Lord, that we can exchange them for joy and a peace, Lord Jesus. I pray not just for today, Lord Jesus, but for the remainder of the week, Lord, that we understand that the liberty that you've given us, we can walk in it and be free, Lord, and share that freedom to others, Lord Jesus, as we see those that are in bondage, those that are away from you, those that are crying out for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. There, is, there are some folks in life that will tell you that Transitions are key moments. They're, they're key moments in which you have the opportunity to get things either right or you can get things wrong. Transitions like going from middle school to high school, like going from high school to college, going from college into the workforce. Transitions like going from, from working to retirement, going from a bachelor or to being married, from, from one child to having three children, from going from life to death. Now, if you, if you have the opportunity to catch somebody who's right at the point in which they're transitioning from one stage to another, there's a chance for what I would say, there's a chance for an exchange here. What I mean by an exchange is you can begin to exchange your questions, your concerns, and any of the unknowns that you have in your journey for some valuable insights. You can gain some insights and get some wisdom. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, there, there's, there's what we have here. There's an exchange happening. And, and the Apostle Paul is, is now passing the baton on to Timothy. There are 27 books in the New Testament. 21 of those books are what we call epistles. They're letters. They're letters that are written to the church. They're emails that are sent to the church. Now, of those 21 epistles, 13 of them are written by Paul. Paul wrote nearly 50% of the entire New Testament was written by one guy. One guy. And when you take a look at 2 Timothy, it's often referred to as what we would call a pastoral epistle. And so in this epistle, Paul is taking the opportunity and he's setting the tone. He's going to be sharing some wisdom, sharing some insight. He's beginning to drop some knowledge and sharing some insight to a man that he's invested his time with. He's invested his energy with. He's, he's spent time and he's figuring that Timothy can begin to carry this thing further than he can when he's gone. Bible says in Proverbs 23, 9, says, Do not speak in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the godly wisdom of your words. Don't share, don't share wisdom on people that's just going to waste it. But Paul had figured that this, this guy, I can, I can give him a little something before I step off the scene. Okay? This is a pastoral epistle, but the second insight I want to share you about this particular letter is that it's a letter of what we call, you could technically call it, it's a a prison epistle. Paul wrote this when he was in prison, okay? But he says, not only was he in prison, and I want to give you some context of the gravity of this, Paul Paul writes and he says in 2 Timothy 4, 16, he says, at my first answer, no man stood with me. All forsook me. In other words, nobody showed up. Nobody showed up to his side. Now, I'm going to give you some context of what's going on. Okay. Paul is, is, is in this time. He's in prison in, in, in Rome. And the Emperor Nero is on the throne. And, and just about at this time, there's an uptick in the persecution of Christianity. And it's generally believed that Nero started the uptick. Okay? Paul had written previous letters to the church in Rome himself. But get this context. He's in Rome and he's in prison. And nobody from the church in Rome showed up to his side. I don't know if the church in Rome went underground, uptown, or out of town. But Paul says that he's standing there and nobody showed up. Nobody showed up. And so when you understand Paul's journey, this is a grave situation because Paul was no stranger to being in prison before. He had been in prison plenty of times before. Prison was what he knew, okay, but this, this is a little bit of a daunting task because Paul realizes, I'm not getting out this time. This is it. Shows up. This is Paul's last letter. And I want you to think about that and the gravity of that statement because of the 13 epistles that he wrote, all 12 up to now, he realizes that this is the last letter that he will ever Right. And so there's a gravity that you have to understand with Second Timothy when Paul realizes that this is it. This, this is going to be Paul's last letter. Mama, what's the last thing you tell your children before you send them out that door to school? Daddy, when you walk your daughter down the aisle, what are the last words you give her before you hand her off to that man? Coach, what's the last thing you tell your players before you send them back into the game? 
It's the last thing, and Paul knows that his time is up, and within this, there's an exchange that's going to occur. It may not seem like much of a chain exchange, but Paul is going to be passing the baton on to someone else. He's going to pass it on to Timothy, and he says, was laid up for me is the crown of righteousness. In other words, Paul realizes that the, the show must go on. Any ministry that you see that's built on a character or personality or person solely, if that person begins to fade away, that ministry is built on sinking sand. At some point, some point, every ministry has to realize that this is about more than just me. It's, it's got to be about more than a personality, a perspective, a character, a, 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 a delivery. It's, it, 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 Paul realizes that, that, hey, I'm here right now, but there's going to come a day in which I am not. And one of the sole reasons, and hear me now, men, hear me now. One of the sole reasons why they say when a man gets a family, all of a sudden he begins to mature. And he begins to mature because there's a context of that, of his mortality. He realizes that I cannot just simply live for myself. I've got to provide for a wife. I've got children. They're growing up. I have to sacrifice for my own means so that they can continue to go on. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul passes on to Timothy, and I'm going to give you these three keys this afternoon. He says, I, I, I. It's not bragging, it's not boasting, but what he does, he takes personal responsibility. First thing he says, I fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. A buddy of mine in college, he, he was in graduate school and he used to send an email and his tagline underneath every email that he would send you was, if, if you see a good fight, get into it. If you see a good fight, get into it. And it's actually a quote by a man by the name of Vernon Johns. Anybody here know who Vernon Johns is? Vernon Johns is actually, you, you may not know his name, but you'll know somebody he's associated with. Vernon Johns was actually the mentor for Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and he would tell King, because King was very meek, he was very mild-mannered, and, and, and I want to say this, meekness is not weakness. You understand that? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is simply strength c- controlled. But he would tell King, he would say, look, if you see a good fight, get into it. He tried to establish early on, if you see something that's worth fighting for, do it. Get into it, man. Child of God, you're going to have to distinguish in your life what are the good fights and what are the wrong fights. What things you need to be fighting for and what things you need to be leaving alone. What hills you're ready to die on and what hills you're ready to walk by. You've got to determine what the good fight is. Now, we got to determine that too here. What in the world is Paul talking about? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Okay, and this is, this is, this is the, his first letter to Timothy. And he, he gives us, we're going to use the Bible to define the Bible here. He tells us what the good fight is. He says, fight the good fight of faith. This is faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession, the presence of many witnesses. The good fight is the fight of faith. Faith is a fight. It's a fight. Turn to your neighbor and tell him. Say, faith is a fight. 
Now we got to define faith. You, see, you said it to your neighbor, let's define faith. Faith is substance of things. Hope for the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Okay. Faith is a fight because it's going to direct you to operate and function not on the basis on what you can see, not on the basis on what you can feel, not on the basis of your circumstances, not on the basis of your comfort, not on the basis on what the world tells you. But faith will direct you to operate on what you've heard in prayer time and what the Word of God says to you. Faith is a fight. John, in John 18, 36, the Bible says, Jesus said unto Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I not be delivered unto the Jews. In other words, he's telling Pilate, look, okay, you're looking at me at my kingship, my authority, my power based on what you see. You see me beaten up. You see me bruised up. You see me battered up. Okay. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. Child of God, you've got to understand You've got to understand hearing that, hey, your, his king, your kingdom, if you're part of his kingdom, his kingdom is not of this world. It's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on your situations. It's not based on what somebody called you. It's not based on what you in your bank account. His kingdom is not of this world. He's telling Pilate, look, I don't operate on these constraints. I don't operate according to what you see. The way you see me is not the way my kingdom operates. I'm beyond and beyond this stuff. I don't care what the streets tell you. I'm here to tell you your children are coming back. I don't care what the Rocky, Rocky marriage situation tells you. I'm telling you your marriage can be restored. I don't care what HR tells you. Milwaukee Public Schools can still have revival. I don't care what your past tells you. You can still be called to be a preacher. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Faith is a fight. Don't you ever forget that. Faith is a fight. Second thing he tells them is, I finished the race. I finished the race. Now, Paul is going to pull from multiple disciplines, and he does this eloquently. What he does is, is he pulls from the disciplines within his world, and he uses those to articulate deeper spiritual concepts. Okay, He does this in Ephesians, meaning he... he, he draws a, almost an equal sign between the Roman soldier and spiritual warfare. And what you have to understand, if you can get into the context of, of, of where Paul was writing and you can understand his world, you can understand where he's pulling this, some, this stuff from. Paul is in a jail in Ephesus. Paul is in jail in Ephesus. And as he's pinning this, this stuff, there's a, more than likely there's a Roman soldier right outside there. So when he writes Ephesians, he actually has a view of the soldier, and that's where he can write about spiritual warfare. The other discipline that Paul frequently pulled from was the discipline of an athlete. There were, there were four Greek games, oftentimes mentioned together. There, 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 there were uh, the, the Pythian games, the Neman games, the Isthmian games, and the Olympic games. This is during Paul's time. And during ancient times, we, we, we un, we un, we're familiar with the Olympic Games, but the most popular games were what they would call the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games took place every two years. Now, Paul would have been very, very familiar with these games. He would have been fami very familiar with the exploits and all of the disciplines of those athletes at that time. And so when he, when he says, I finished the course, Paul is talking to Timothy and said, I ran this thing about as far as I can. 
I've done my leg. I finished my portion. Mama, some of you in here said, I've done all I can do with you, son. I've carried you about as, as far as I can. I've given you the best I can. I may not have had it all, but I gave you what I had. Okay, I've finished my portion. What you have to do, he's trying to hand off the baton to Timothy saying, you are next. You're next. Hear me now, child of God. Because there's some people that are going to start things and they don't finish them. People in your life are going to tell you things and it's not going to be finished. But I, I, I want you to understand that you serve a God who's a finisher. He's a finisher. He says in Philippians 1, 6, he's been confident of this very thing, that he which began a work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God wants to finish the work that he started in you. But here's what happens out the, throughout the course of the race of, of, of life, of life. This is what happens in life because ra- ra- life is a race, okay? God's involved in multiple roles and multiple facets in this race. And one of the types of race within the course of this life is, 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 is it's, a, it's a relay. It's really, it's a relay. Everybody familiar with how a relay works? In a relay, you have, you have essentially you have four runners, and each runner has, 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 runs a leg, leg of the race. And one of the keys to understanding the relay race is that there has to be a seamless, okay, it's vital. It's absolutely vital to the success of the race, okay, that the runners understand how to manage the exchange. It's the exchange. Any relay, especially when you talk about the, the relays that are of a shorter distance, the four by one, okay, the exchange of the baton from one runner to the next is key in order for you either winning the race or losing the race. There are two aspects now. Faith. Come here, Faith. Oh, yeah. I'm blowing you up this whole time. There are two aspects in a relay race that result in it becoming a disaster. The first aspect is the person that's receiving the baton does not take off fast enough. The the second aspect is that the person that's receiving the baton takes off too soon. So, so in order to mitigate this, typically this this is what this is what this is what we did back when I was running track. I don't know. I mean, this was, that was years ago. I'm gonna date myself. Okay, <laughs> but but typically what we did is the coach would actually give you tape, and, and and he would give you two pieces of tape, and the first piece of tape, you put it right here because there's an exchange zone, and that zone when you get on a track there's a lane, and all those funny little letters and numbers in lane, you have to exchange the baton within that exchange zone. If you do not, you're disqualified. Now, he gives you two pieces of tape. This is what your coach does, and the first piece of tape is where you stand. This is where you sit and you wait for the baton to come in. You stand within the exchange zone, and you're looking for the runner on your team to bring in the baton. The second piece of tape was to mark where the runner came in. And so in order to synchronize your momentum and make sure that the, the, the handoff was seamless, you didn't run, am I right, until he hits the tape. Not a step too soon. You heard her. What happens too many times, okay, is some people do not run when the runner has hit the tape. 
And what ends up happening, take off here, is the runner runs up her backside. And this is how collisions take place. Let me begin to speak to some of you this morning. Some of you are standing at your mark, and Jesus is coming around that corner, and he's got that baton, and you know that it's time to start running. You know that it's time to start taking action. You know that it's time to start moving. He's been speaking to you in different things, in different areas. He's been moving on you the entire time, but you haven't moved at all. And what's going to happen is he's going to run up your backside, and there's all of a sudden going to be a collision between your reality and what you know to do and you should have done. Hear me now. Because the other mistake is, and I'm speaking to young people, is sometimes, you know what happens? Is sometimes we don't feel that the baton's coming in fast enough. You ever feel like that? You don't feel like the baton's coming in fast enough. You see all the other teams, and it's going click, 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 and you realize that your team is in the last. And you say, if they could just give me the baton. Woo! If they could just give me the baton. Look out. If they could just get it to me. And what happens is, in that third Runner, he ain't coming around too fast, is she? No. And so what you begin to do is, it's what we do, young people, because you're bored, (laughs) because you see everybody in life running at that pace, because you see all the other teams moving, and they're seemingly moving ahead of you, young people. It seems like everybody else is is moving on, and they're, they're going to different heights. What you begin to do is you begin to take off. And suddenly, here's what happens is you get too far up the race, and you realize you don't have the baton. Hear me now. What has ended up happening, and I believe, because part of this is not necessarily just on the young folk who've taken off. Part of this is on the church. Because what we've done, what the older generation has done is, you know what we've done? We've been slow coming around that corner. And our young people have been getting battered with all these cultural things. They've been getting battered with identity things. We haven't explained sexuality to them comprehensively. We haven't gone into what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. And you know what they said? I'm grown up. I'm 18. I'm 17. And y'all still ain't explained this from a biblical standpoint. And what they've had to do is, Mama, you'd better start right away getting to that mark so that you can get the handoff to your baby so she's ready to run the next part of the race. Come on down here. Mama. Come on. Come here, Mama. She's sending her off soon. Hmm? Tuesday. And we got a lot of young people here that are graduating. And before we wrap up, we're going to pray for them. Because church, you have to understand, you know, we're, we can't send our young people to wolves. We need to send these young people out with fire and anointing to turn their world upside down. Turn it upside down and right side up. But if we delay in having the discussions that we need to have, those deep discussions, you know what I'm talking about? Stuff that should have been talked about and that the, that the church should have addressed The church should have addressed sexuality. The church should have addressed marriage. The church should have addressed some of these things. If we don't address it here, you know what's going to happen? They're going to get up and somebody else is going to address it. 
Third thing he says is, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to share this with you, and if, if I'm honest with you, there, there are some times in which some of you in here, you're, you're, you're still fighting, but you've lost the faith. There's sometimes we get in the course of life and we can still put up a fight, but we, we don't really have faith anymore. He's going through the motions, swinging. But you don't have faith. I'm not, I'm not saying that as an indictment at all. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that just from a reality standpoint. There are circumstances in your life sometimes that will result in you simply fighting with no faith. What I want to encourage you here, child of God, is that there may be a day when the voice fades, but keep the faith. There may be a day when the, the, the body, body fades, but keep the faith. There may be a day when the eyes dim, but keep the faith. There may be a day when, when they all walk out on you, but keep the faith. There may be a day in which you're alone, but keep the faith. There may be a day when all have deserted you, but keep the faith. There may be a day in which you're in your prison, but keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. When Paul says, I've kept the faith, what it is, it's a confession of his integrity. And what integrity is, is consistency in thought, word, and action. That's all it is. It's a consistency in thought, word, and action. And, and when we talk about a breakdown in integrity, we're talking about somebody that says, says something, but they won't do it. You know what I'm talking about? Or they never, they never really tell you what they mean. That's a breakdown in integrity. If there's anything about the apostle Paul that he, he, had, he had a high amount of integrity, and integrity doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the right thing. But whenever, whatever Paul did, he did it 100%. The Bible says he said, I wasted the church because he really thought he was doing the right thing. A person with integrity will always play by the rules. And, and, and this is, I'm going to share this with you. This is, this, is, this is a speculation, a speculation that I read. But it's very, very much possible that when Paul says, I've kept the faith, that it's actually a dig at the emperor Nero of his day. I'm going to share this with you. Nero was a Roman emperor whose reign brought terror. Nero, by all accounts, historians tell you he, he's, he was crazy. He was bona fide crazy. He had his mother killed. He had his sister killed. He castrated a man and married him. In another marriage, he decided to marry another man dressed up as a bride. He killed his sister's but one of the most shameful things that Nero did is, is, according to history, he actually entered the Isthmian Games. He actually entered the Games. There's no more than think about Joe Biden said, I want to be a part of the NBA Finals. Because Nero had the power to do so, he did it. Nero entered the Games and in, 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 he entered in, in a, a chariot racing. And what he did was he, he, he entered the, these, these chariot races and, and the, the rules of the chariot race is that you could only run four horses, but Nero, they let Nero run with ten. Ten horses. And, and, and when, when his chariot overturned and he got hurt, 
and he crossed the finish line, they still declared him the winner. And what ended up happening is the Isthmian Games lost their integrity. They lost their respect. They, 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 they lost any type of honor that they had previously had. Completely destroying all of the games, all the sportsmanship. Anything that would be associated with honor was completely corrupted from that point. And let me begin to share that, that some of you in here, you're living with shame. You're living with shame from a lack of integrity. Sin has destroyed your family. It's destroyed your marriage. It's destroyed your children. And in that condition, we, we don't have anything left but shame and pain. But, but I'm here to, to bring you some good news here. That, that your heavenly father has said there's an exchange that's about to happen. And the exchange is, is, I want you to give me your shame and I want to trade it for a new name. I want you to give me your burdens and I'll trade you for peace. I want you to give me your fears and I'll give you hope. Give me your sadness and I'm going to give you joy. Joy unspeakable as we say, and full of glory. Let's stand. There's an exchange. I'm going to open up this altar a little bit here. I'm going to invite our young people down in church. I'm going to gather and pray for them. On the day of Pentecost, there was an exchange that took place. God says, it's no longer about me, me living around you, through you, but I, I want to live actually in you. And this afternoon, church, mothers, fathers, please gather in. Gather in. Gather in behind them. You brought a young person? Gather in. Gather in behind your babies. We're going to lay hands on these young people. It's not going to be just me praying, but we as a church are going to pray for these little ones. We're going to pray for each of them. And you're going to give an exchange. We're going to impart blessing, wisdom, and the mighty hand of God. The Bible says they're, they're, they're your arrow. On these young people, as you send them out, some of them are graduating. Some are going on to different states, colleges, new grades of school. But as, as, as Paul did to Timothy, he couldn't do it physically because he was in prison. But he tells him, I've taken you as far as I can. It's your leg of the race. I know the sacrifices that you've made as parents. The times that kept you up at night. The times you had to work a little bit extra to give them what they wanted. 
The times you looked at him and you said, I just want you to have it better than I did. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done. I thank you for this child here, Lord Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for the fact that they're here, God. And I pray right now, Lord, for your protection around them spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every aspect of their being, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, for earning, for, for a hunger for you, God. That's beyond anything that they know, God. That you not let them go to the right or to the left, Lord Jesus. That you continue to call them into that relationship with you, God. I pray that you give them a touch, Lord Jesus. Give them a touch. Give them a touch. I pray. I pray against any confusion on them, Lord Jesus. I pray against the enemy, God, that will bring any strongholds on them. Lord.